Hello, my name is Tom Langson, and welcome to this episode of the Telltales Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Charles Barker, the Faculty Learning and Teaching Coordinator and Principal Lecturer in the Business and Law Faculty. He joined me to talk about how he uses technology to develop students' presentation skills. As a law academic, Charles is acutely aware how key communication is to the student and how each student needs to be academically focused on improving themselves through their reflective process. I started by asking Charles a little bit about his own background and how he is focused in on his current research area. I come from a law background, so I had been doing a lot of presentation skills in my former career and of course as an academic you do quite a lot of presentation skills in lectures and seminars. And I was interested in, in how people learn those skills and how we can help people develop them. It's something that people find really scary. So I wanted to try and find ways in which it could be made easier for people to get to grips with it. I'm, I suppose I start from the, the point of view that we all are able to communicate orally uh, and yet people find it very challenging when they have to get up in, and speak in front of a large audience or even a small audience when their centre of attention. It can create real difficulties in terms of anxiety and nerves. And I wanted to explore how people can approach public speaking in a way that works for them. And I suppose I started off uh, using my training as a lawyer and I quickly found that perhaps the methods that I had been taught and the methods by which I had learnt public speaking skills were not satisfactory for the sort of level of student or for any level of student that you encounter uh, because they're very much based on the idea perhaps that some people are good at public speaking and other people aren't. And I was dissatisfied with that analysis. So I started off really just trying to, uh, to, to help people to get the confidence to speak up in, uh, in a formal setting and uh, present to their colleagues. Uh, but I think the real change came about when we started using video and using video so that people could watch themselves perform, and not just watch themselves perform, but also hear what other people were saying about them away from the classroom. So we were uh, recording people performing, but we were also recording the feedback that they were getting from tutors and from their uh, peers in the classroom. So they were able to go away from the classroom, watch their own performances, evaluate their own performances, and... Have a, have a look at and reflect on what people were saying about those performances. But of course, all of those students who are uh, performing are also reviewing other people. So they get an opportunity not only to evaluate uh, their own performances, but in the classroom, they're, they're constantly evaluating other people's performances. And, and it struck me that this is, the, this is the key to public speaking. It's not about trying to make sure people improve on each performance. It's about how people develop the skills to evaluate what they've done, to be able to evaluate what other people do, and bring that into their own performance. So 
that's that's the real sea change in what we were doing is is thinking much more about developing the skill of evaluation and being able to then feed that into your own work rather than developing so that by the end of this particular course you will be able to do x y and z in terms of public speaking it's much more subtle than that with charles's background and keen interest in using the correct theories to help the students learn i wanted to know what exactly is activity theory well activity theory is the idea that uh, rather than look at individuals we look at the whole activity that's going on as a, as a social activity. Now, the problem with public speaking is that everyone perceives it as being a very individual skill. The idea is, oh, that person's very good at public speaking, they perform well, and we focus on the individual. But actually, I think that is nonsense. It is a social skill. It is fundamentally about communicating with others. And that's where activity theory comes in. Let's not look at how the individual performs. Let's look at everything in the activity. So a good example would be uh, just thinking about how people use public speaking. So let's take an example at university. We, we mix with the same people all the time. You may speak in front of the same group at uh, a research seminar. You may speak to the same group of people, perhaps when one of your colleagues gets married and we go off to a wedding and it's the same people at the wedding. We know that when somebody retires, you'll get the same colleagues at that event. And you may find that the same person is, is speaking at, at each of those events, but their performance is going to be going to be tailored to the particular context that they're in. You would, wouldn't do the same speech at a research seminar as you do at a wedding, for example. Uh, and the wedding example is quite a good one, really, because we've all been in those situations, perhaps, where somebody hasn't got the tone right, they've got the context wrong, they've got their audience wrong, and they've pitched it wrong, and that hasn't come across well at the wedding, and often too embarrassing, uh, with embarrassing results. So it is a social activity, public speaking, and we have to view it in those terms. Uh, we, we actually, each as individuals, will have an impact on that um, that situation. So um, it gets very complicated uh, activity theory. So I may want to go back over the, those sorts of things. But the idea of activity theory is simply that we we are all governed to some extent by our social cultural and historical context. When you turn up to give any particular speech, you are going to be governed by that social context and you have to perform within that social context. And so performance in a public speaking setting is about that social context and about making sure that people are developing uh, appropriately within that rather than focusing on the individual. I came from a, a law background where you'll find that there were a you know, a lot of people who take the view that advocates, courtroom advocates, are born. Uh, they can't be created. Uh, and actually, that's, that's not correct. You can learn the relevant skills for performance. People have different issues when they approach public speaking, but all of these things can be learned and developed. And thinking about it in a social context rather than about the particular skills of the individual rather helps us frame uh, that approach with law drawing a wide range of people to it. I was curious of the student expectation towards individual and group presentations. Do they start the course quite reserved, or is there maybe a draw to those who might be a little more extroverted? 
Well, no, I, I think that's an interesting question about whether uh, how people feel about doing the performances in class because the main... I, I teach this in a number of contexts, but the, the main one and the one that started this all off was a core unit for Level 4 students. So they didn't have the choice to take this unit. This was a unit that was part of their degree programme. Many of them wouldn't have noticed that this was part of the programme when they uh, applied. So on day one, they find that they are faced with a unit. So this is right at the beginning of their studies at university. They're faced with a unit which is all about presentation skills. It's all about actually performing in class. After the first couple of weeks, I try and reduce the, uh, the amount they hear me and uh, start hearing each other week in, week out, performing in front of their peers. So yes, there, there's a real issue as to how they feel about doing that. And it's only natural that they feel nervous. Um, you know, I'm, it, it's surprising you, you talk to a group of people perhaps away from this sort of context, um, and many will say that they don't feel nerves in public speaking. But I, I suspect I'd agree with Mark Twain on that, that uh, you know there are two types of public speakers, those that are, are nervous and uh, liars. So, you know, we... we we all feel the nerves when we, pub we do public speaking. And I think making people aware that we're all facing those particular issues, trying to make them comfortable in the social environment in which they're doing these performances is crucial to the success of, of the approach that we're taking. So we don't, we don't just chuck them in. We don't go for a sort of, as you sometimes see with performance, a sort of macho approach to uh, sink or swim. We take our time. We give them the opportunity first to just get used to their voice in a, in a more social context in the classroom. We do a couple of weeks of, I hate to use the term icebreaker activities because they um, bring back terrible memories of, uh, of awkward icebreaking activities in, uh, whenever you start anywhere new. But it's really important for us that we, we create situations where people can hear their voice in the environment in which we're teaching. They can share things with the group before they get up and actually do their first formal speech. And you often find that, you know, people are quite happy to be talking at length about the discussion points that we bring up in the first couple of weeks. But there is a real step change when they have to get up and just deliver, as we do for our, our first activity, a one-minute speech. Uh, but we try and reduce the size of that step change, try and reduce it so that they, they feel a lot more comfortable coming into it. So, no, it's, it, you do, of course, get extrovert people. We get a full mix of people. We also get people who are very uncomfortable about public speaking. But I think everybody feels the nerves and... Gain, making sure people gain or try to gain the skills to become aware of what their particular issues are is is about is what the unit's all about. I, I keep the as the years pass, I feel that the actual development of the public speaking that actually happens over the course of the term is much less important than the skill of self-evaluation and evaluating others. Now, of course, I'm not saying that I want people to just come in, become great at self-evaluation and not improve their public speaking. I just think that the improvement to public speaking is merely a product of that other development, that development of self, self-evaluation, evaluation of others. Uh, and it comes as a 
clear result of that process. So I'm focusing on that. Uh, yes, of course, I love to see, and the students love to see, their development in their public speaking skills. But as I say, I believe that's just a product of the wider skill of self-evaluation and being able to evaluate other people's performances and then incorporate that into your own work. So, um, so yeah, they, we, we get a real range of people, but it's, it's something of a leveller, I think. I think when you're getting them up to do a one-minute speech... I think the very confident people have their own issues. You find that the very confident people feel that they, well, I don't really need to prepare a one-minute speech. I can just deliver this. And they soon realise that actually their uh, overconfidence perhaps leads them into as, as many difficulties as the people who find it uh, very, very uncomfortable to get up and speak at all. So it is all about dealing with uh, particular issues. Um, I always think... I give the example to the students that if uh, someone, a great public speaker, let's say take uh, Barack Obama, for example, someone acknowledged to be a fantastic public speaker, he could turn up on day one and he would deliver a fantastic speech. And at the end of the year, he would deliver another fantastic speech. But he wouldn't do very well on our, our unit because he, he would need to show, well, he might do very well if he shows his own development. But he wouldn't, just through his own performance, wouldn't do very well on the model, of course, that I've put together. Because he's actually got to show that he's identified issues, um, dealt with those issues, reflected on those issues, and demonstrated that he has put those into effect by the end of the course. So great public speakers that turn up can't just rely on their public speaking skills. They have to still develop those skills of evaluation uh, within the context of the, uh, of the unit. And I think that's, that's the fundamental thing. Take it away from the idea of I'm going to mark you on your skill as a public speaker and actually start analysing how people are able to evaluate their performances and the performances of others. For me, particularly at a level four, perhaps even undergraduate level generally, that's the key to public speaking teaching. It's not about just trying to deal with the symptoms that we see when people perform. It's about going deeper than that and developing those evaluative skills. With public speaking being a daunting task to many people and everyone being their own harshest critic, I wondered how Charles managed the student's ability to deal with criticism and external scrutiny. Yes, I, that, that clearly is a, a difficulty. I think uh, people do have to face those uh, difficult points where people are making uh, judgments on their performance that are, are pointing out development points. I, I think a lot of it, well, there are a number of safeguards for that, actually. Um, the, the first is uh, one that comes naturally to the students is uh, it takes a long time to get a level four student to actually give any what you might call negative feedback to one of their colleagues. It takes a long time. So you, the role of the tutor in those first few weeks, in those first episodes of performance, is often to be, uh, to be bad cop a little bit, to actually be pointing out development points. Uh, but I, I, I do think it's important to say, I, I just don't know that it, it it's not, it isn't like that. Because for a number of reasons, really, it, we don't have a real problem with the uh, with the the development point feedback because of the the way that we try and pitch it. No one's being marked on their performance, and that I I think is a is a real boon. Uh, if you're not being marked on your performance, people 
tend to take it in a different way. You're not saying, well, that performance was worth uh, a first, that one was a fail. It, it is grossly uh, unhelpful, I think, to try and pitch things in those ways. So I really try and avoid uh, marking particular performances. We do actually, I, I, I'm lying slightly, because we do have a group activity where they are marked on how they put together a legal argument and how they uh, present that. But actually, 70% of the assessment on the unit is just about how they're able to show their development. It doesn't matter that their development may be different to somebody else's. They've just got to show their own personal development. And so when we start pitching it in that way, somebody saying, well, you use a lot of fillers, there are lots of ums and ers, and I'm finding that uh, a distraction from your main message, then the, the students tend to take that on board. And then we, we don't talk about how they're just going to go away and make sure they come back without those fillers, those ums and ers. We say, well, let's think about techniques where you can you, that you can use to try and eliminate those. And we talk about it as a group. We don't talk about it in, a, in, a, in the sense of, well, you failed to deliver an eloquent speech, go away and sort it out. We actually say, well, I highlighted a distraction. It, to me, there were too many ums and ers. We discuss whether how, how the rest of the group felt about that. And then we look at techniques that they can go away and try to see whether that helps them eliminate that sort of verbal tick. And it, it just doesn't, I, I think, obviously, students will feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable when people give me any development feedback. It is uncomfortable, but we try and take that sting out of it by talking about how it's going to develop without trying to hang marks on any particular performance. And we often find, and, and I think this is a, quite a comfort for students, if you say, well, I appreciate that while you're dealing with the ums and ers, while you're thinking of strategies to eliminate those, other parts of your performance might dip. And we're ready for that. So when they get up and say, look, I'm trying to deal with my fillers, my ums and ers, we say fine. And we don't then go, yeah, well, your content was rubbish this time. We try and ignore that, factor that out of the equation and focus on how has your strategy worked for eliminating that filler? Is it a good strategy? Can you share it with the group? Would it be useful for others? And not worry about what's happening to the rest of their presentation skills while they're learning a particular thing. And this goes back to the uh, theories of activity theory, one of the, to get more technical about it, there was uh, a Russian psychologist who was part of the activity theory movement in the early 20th century called Leontiev, and he talks about the development process. You have to um, internalize the things that you're learning. So first of all, you'll very consciously try and get rid of your ums and ers. As you're standing there talking and then you hear the dreaded er and you think to yourself oh I've just said er and it's it's all very conscious as you try and eliminate those but you come up with techniques you try different ways of doing it once that starts working you stop thinking about it and you start just eliminating the ums and ers they just go because you've internalized that behavior Leontiev discusses this in the context of uh, learning to shoot a gun and he says, well, the, you know, the first time you're shooting a gun, you're, you're taught how to gently squeeze the trigger rather than pull it. And that takes a lot of thought as you're doing it because your instinct is to, to pull the trigger 
hard, ready for the recoil of the gun. Uh, but you learn slowly by thinking about it how to, to ease the trigger back. Eventually, though, that habit becomes internalised and you don't never have to think about whether you're squeezing or pulling the trigger. You just automatically squeeze it gently. You then move on to the next thing. How do I aim? So that's that process and, and we really try and focus on that. So again, it, it, I think that takes the sting out of the criticism because the students very often are identifying what their own development point is. They know what it is. They've seen it on the video. They've had some feedback and they want to deal with it. So we all focus on that and think of ways in which we can uh, help them develop those, uh, those techniques and share those techniques with the group. Focusing on presentation skills is a key part of Charles's course. So I asked how technology plays a role in the process. I've been teaching this unit for about 10 years and we weren't recording for those first few years. And that approach meant that we were rather more focused on performance and not about evaluation. Because it's very difficult for someone to talk about their personal development when we didn't have the evidence. It's um, ephemeral, it disappears the minute you perform. So we, we, we wanted some way of capturing that so that people could really evaluate their own performances. So in, back in 2012, we started using iPads to capture people's uh, performances. Uh, we used, and we have done since 2012, although the technology has developed uh, through that period, but we have used uh, something called Fuse, TechSmith Tech Fuse, which is an app which captures the... Uh, the performance on the iPad. And we are now able, through the uh, something that's been done by the university, to use the assessed video facility, which means that once we've recorded a video, we can instantly upload it to the assessed video storage area, which also means that we can uh, give immediate access or almost immediate access to the student. But better than that, it, it's, it's a lovely private setting where they can put together a portfolio of their work. The only people who share the videos are the student themselves, the tutor, um, obviously the technical support people are able to access them if we have any problems, and the external examiner. So we've got this tiny pool of people who are able to look at the videos, which again creates another safe environment in which the students can view their recordings, compare them. And as I said, as I said before, we, um, we record the feedback and the peer reviews. So they've got the whole performance there. They can watch their own performance back. They can listen to the feedback and the peer reviews again. They can then go back and look at the video to see what people pointed out. They may agree, they may disagree with some of that feedback, but it gives them that opportunity. Because I, I suspect that if you give feedback, or you know, obviously we do give feedback on the spot, but after a speech has been done, uh, the adrenaline's pumping through that individual, they're not going to be listening to what the feedback is. They're not going to be listening at that point to the peer review. So actually having the technology there to not only be able to review your own performance, but be able to see what other people thought of it, away from that pressurised context in the classroom is massively valuable. The difficulty I find, and this is where I've, I've used activity theory to try and pinpoint the problems in the activity that I'm uh, 
using is to actually get them to engage with that video. That can be problematic and you need to have systems in place to make sure that they do engage with it. Now, the first of those was to create a portfolio at the end of the year where they have to gather everything together, link it all together with their own self-evaluation. The problem I found with that was that people tended to only look at the video at the end of the year, which um, resulted in people not actually gaining what they could from the whole process that happens during the year. So they may gain through that evaluative process at the end, but they really needed points through the course of the year where they have to engage with the video. So that's what we've done. We've introduced various formative and summative opportunities through the year where they actually have to engage with their videos, talk about them, discuss them, review them, so that they do engage with that evaluation process throughout the year rather than right at the end of it. So that's the technology that we use. We use iPads that are housed in a, uh, a mount on a tripod. We sometimes use microphones. We don't always use microphones. The sound quality isn't brilliant. The picture quality is not necessarily brilliant, but that's not the point of what we're doing. This isn't to be shown to anyone else other than the student. As long as it captures their performance, catches enough audio that they can hear what they said and hear what their feedback was, that's, that's fine. So it is um, a little bit quick and dirty the way we do it in class, but that is what we need to do. It means that a single tutor can be in control of the video, upload them immediately to the student's own assessed video site for the student to then, as soon as the class has finished, be able to go out and engage with that uh, material. So it works extremely effectively because a lot of recording uh, initiatives require technicians or they require more than the 50 minutes that we have for a normal session. With this, we store, or we will be, normally we have either your own iPad or we store one in the room that we use because we try and use the same room each time, um, store a an iPad ready for use. It's there, log in, start filming, send it off to the assess video and it's all done. A single person can manage that in a, a normal classroom setting. So it, it is very much enhanced by the technology. We wouldn't have been able to do that with old style video recording because of the sharing aspects. You wouldn't be able to share as quickly. I remember when I was training back in the 90s, we had these great big old uh, VCR recorders and you had to bring your own video that you'd, they would then stick in the VCR recorder and you'd do your performance and then they'd hand the VCR tape back to you to go and watch at home. Uh, that actually, for the time, was a relatively neat solution, but it's not nearly as neat as being able to just press in the student's number uh, and it gets sent to the assess video site for them to review at a later stage. So it's fantastic, really. And do you do any blended learning of this as well, where maybe they do presentations or uh, personal videos that then get assessed outside of the classroom scenario? Yes, we do, actually. I think we're still sort of working on the most effective way of doing that. Uh, we, there are a number of avenues we're taking, and it's, it's only been in the last couple of years that I've been doing it. Because the students 
uh, are not necessarily engaged with using this exactly the same technology. Uh, so I think it would be perfectly feasible for them to upload uh, onto this assessed video site and be able to be reviewed that way. And I know some people do. But I found that actually I just get them to do their video recordings, to link them in via a Google uh, a Google Drive site so they can just dump their video in a Google Drive site that, uh, and I can that they give me access to so that remains obviously just between myself and the the student I can then upload that onto the assessed video site in the usual way and then delete the recording that they've got they could easily access it directly but I found that that just for ease of for the students that that's the best way to do it so we can then do it at a distance we we able to do sort of distance learning presentation skills. We've had a number of students who've been very much engaged, but for personal reasons have not been able to make it to enough of the sessions to record uh, videos for their portfolio. So we've been able to assist them with that. They've, um, they've recorded those at home. We've given them feedback. We've uploaded them onto the, uh, the assessed video site, and they're able to incorporate those into their uh, portfolios. And we've extended that further, although this is very much in its early stages, with a what we call a communications cafe set up via Moodle. So we, what we're hoping to do is have a Moodle. Well, we've got the Moodle site. We just need to roll out what we're going to do. But there'll be essentially sort of three layers of, of support. So first of all, provide some written materials to help students with their uh, communication skills, some tips, um, some videos illustrating some of those tips. So the sort of stuff they can access, which they're not actually a part of. They just merely access the material and make of it what they will. The next layer could be to have delivering the, their own videos that we could upload to assess video. And that's at the stage we're at at the moment, that sort of second stage of being able to, um, to do some distance learning of presentation skills. I mean, it's, it's quite a challenge, and I think it always sounds... I, I, I'm attracted by that challenge to be able to say that we are able to teach presentation skills at a distance and do it effectively. So that's the sort of second stage. They don't actually have to meet face-to-face -face with anybody, but can provide videos, we can provide feedback. And then the third stage, allow an opportunity where uh, people who don't necessarily have this uh, presentation skills unit within their course can still access the support of tutors and, we're hoping, peers. So peer learning. Actually have some peers who've been through some of this training offer feedback and discussion with people who want some face-to-face -face presentation skills. So that's what we're, we're thinking of uh, trying to, well, we're in the process of introducing three layers of communication skills, one where you can just access material, one where you can deliver material that you've recorded at a distance and get some feedback, and then some face-to-face -face opportunities. So I, I think it can really grow. And if we keep the focus on how people develop their own personal evaluative skills and develop their personal uh, presentation skills in that way, it, it's got a long way that it can go. So, um, so yeah, I, I, that actual moment, that epiphany, if you like, when we decided that we were on the wrong track in thinking that it was all about making people better at public speaking in any particular teaching context and realising that that 
uh, improvement to public speaking actually comes from students' own development of evaluative skills to be able to evaluate their own performances and the performances they see around them. Once we realized that that was the important thing, it, it unlocked a lot of potential because it means that you can actually help them develop those skills in all sorts of ways rather than having to say, well, no, you must deliver a speech in this way and we're not going to give you a high mark or not going to reward you until you actually deliver it the way we think it should be done. Instead, you're passing that decision-making on to them. You're equipping them with the skills to be able to do it themselves. And they don't just do it themselves in the context of this particular teaching intervention. They should be able to continue doing that through their academic and hopefully work careers. So, you know, I'm, I'm obviously fairly evangelical about this approach, but I think it makes a huge difference. I see too many things that are focused on what's happening in the here and now, in the short term, when really for skills like this, we need to be developing them so that people are equipped in any context to be able to uh, use their skills effectively and continue to develop them as they go through their careers. With how far Charles has come from his own studies using video VHS technology to the current iPad recording and e-reviewing capabilities, I wanted to see if he had a thought on where this could evolve and what might he like to see change. Uh, there are a number of ways of looking at this. In terms of learning and teaching, I think the, the, the thing that's occurred to me most, uh, probably in the last six months, is the benefit of students coaching other students on these skills. Now, I think there's been a lot of focus on that sort of peer learning and uh, the students who are the recipients of that often feel, well, I don't want it from somebody who's just a year ahead of me or two years ahead of me. I want it from the expert. I want it from the tutor. But I think that misses the point because the benefit is, is not so much for the recipient of that, uh, that coaching, that mentoring. It's actually for the person delivering it. And again, that's another sort of um, epiphany that we've had that actually is that process of articulating how students can develop. Those people, those peers who have been uh, reviewing other, uh, other, other members of their class, they gain so much from doing it because they actually start, they're always thinking about it in terms of their own performance. When they watch somebody else, they think, I wonder how I would do that. When they watch someone else, they think, oh, that was good. I wonder how that would work in my own performance. Or if they see something that's not working, they, they then compare it against the yardstick in their head, which is their own performance. So if you're getting students to actually engage with with passing on their own skills and knowledge to uh, the, the, the new students, the, the level four students, then you, uh, you, you get a really useful, virtuous circle of, of learning. Um, so I think w when we talk about this sort of peer tutoring, it, we have to realise that the, the key benefit, in my opinion, is for the mentor rather than the mentee. So you have to make sure that the, the, the mentee, the person receiving that feedback, gets some other uh, feedback from other sources as well and can develop their own evaluative uh, judgment in that context. But really being able to, to take it further with the students and try and uh, help them uh, become trainers themselves, the benefits for the, 
for the students who are doing the mentoring is uh, hasn't really been exploited yet. And I think that's something that's really exciting. And I've got a number of projects for that. So, so obviously, I'd like some level four and five students to help the level four students. But I've also got a project set up with a local charity for, um, for next year, where these students are going to deliver public speaking skills training to charity fundraisers, the ones who have to go to, to corporate situations and deliver to uh, boardrooms and to large groups of people. We're going to help the, those people develop their skills, but we're going to have the students doing it. And I think the real benefit there is for those students who are delivering that training. Yes, I think we're delivering something useful for a valuable community organisation, but actually the, the, the real benefit for our students is what they learn through doing that, how it helps their own skills develop. In terms of technology, I think we've got some ideas as well, and we've touched on those before, but the idea of distance learning for presentation skills, the idea of being able to upload videos that students have recorded, they've all got you know, much better cameras than we're using in our old iPads. We're still using the old iPad 3s and 4s that we had back in 2012, 2013. Uh, and they're perfectly adequate for what we're doing. What the students have in their pocket is often a much better recording device than we've got, and I want to try and exploit that opportunity of students being able to upload their videos, to be able to get feedback, to be able to, to catalogue their own development. I think that's something that I'd really like to, to try and take further. So... It's one of those things, you, you, we, when we first started, we were really excited about the technology and one can easily be technology focused. As you get into it, you realise that the, the technology is just a tool that is helping you to develop new ways of uh, being able to, 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 I suppose, deliver teaching that was already there. It's just a making it more accessible in the same way as, yes, I had the VCRs in my law training, but it was cumbersome. It was clumsy. It wasn't straightforward. I couldn't look at it on the bus on the way home. I couldn't look at it in the library with my headphones on. I had to go back and sit in front of, as it was then, the family telly and stick it in the, um, uh, stick it in the VCR. So actually that, that uh, the technology just makes the material accessible, makes it easier for the students to engage with that material, to actually use that material. And um, that, that's been fantastic. So to, to be able to do that more is something that I think is really exciting and try and find new ways in which the students can actually record, uh, share with the relevant people that they want to share with uh, and get feedback on their performance. So as those are the two areas, the developing mentoring skills amongst the students who've been through an initial training process and the development of distance learning for presentation skills. A huge thanks to Calvin Lands for providing production assistance and mastering on this episode. You can find him on clsound.net. So please do check out telltales.port.ac.uk and follow us on Twitter at tellportsmouth. You can subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. The music for this episode is called Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod and all copyright information can be found within our show notes.